and uh, regular Anglican prayers goes that uh, what we have not give us, what we know not teach us, and what we are not make us. Amen. I just wonder for a moment if you think of heaven and more that uh, we are expecting not just heaven but a new heaven and a new earth. What would your expectation be based on the scripture you know? Now, Beth was very perspective in that she saw how come the words which we are reading for the passage begin with a conjunction, yet or what, uh, or, or but. If you open your Bible, today's passage cut with a conjunction, but. Well, uh, it, it, it's not our fault, actually, of taking passages in this chunk. Well, I just copied St. Uh, Helen Bishop Gates Church Program and say, okay, take the whole lot, how they divide it, and we'll do it according to what they do. So this is how they divide it. I, I credit to them. I think uh, they did a great job. But it comes to such station where you have a conjunction, and you say, how can you actually start a message with a conjunction, but? So we have to go back and say, what precede? What precede? And Beth was very perceptive, and she took one verse uh, just before that. And it's great. But I think we have to go a bit more. We have to go a bit more. A bit more. And uh, I think the immediate passage before that talks about God's restoration. God's restoration. Uh, the, the thing we hope for. I make no apologies that I am waiting for God's kingdom, whether in death or for Christ's coming. You know, I'm, I'm not here to, 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 to transform the, 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 the people here just for for, for, for the present situation. We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. So in the new heaven and new earth, what will expectation be? And the preceding words give us a few. Not exhaustive, there's probably more than that. The first part is freedom. It says that we'll be set free. Set free. The kind of freedom which Adam and Eve have before the fall. God set them to have self-determination, to, the, to, to, to enjoy, to have their own uh, uh, will to, to, to do right. A freedom. Freedom. So the first thing is freedom. If you sin, we are in sin, we are bondage, we are slave for sin. But when Christ set us, we are free indeed. So the first thing in the new heaven, new earth, is freedom. Freedom. The second thing, it says that We'll be nourished. We'll be nourished. He says that, you know, you can find pastures everywhere. I do not know about you, but food to me is important. Not only the, 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 to get my stomach full, but to taste the, the, the different elements of the, the food. So I, I, I hope that in the new heaven, the new, new earth, uh, we will still have that culture of eating, uh, enjoying the food, uh, the multinational food. So, Nourishment, God will nourish us. And the third thing he says here is we are free of threat. Now one of the things we, we see is 
threat which is beyond human control, volcano, you know, fires and all that. And here it says that in the new heaven, new earth, we will have not have that kind of threat anymore. The sun will not beat us down. You know, there won't be any threat of such kind. And then, what else? It says also that in the new heaven and new earth, there will be a community. There will be people gathering. We will have a community. Great! We won't be alone. We have you. We will be enjoying a big, big, huge church camp and Moses will be there. Joseph will be there. Noah will be there. You can talk about the animals with him. Great! You know, in my life, I've gone through, I mean, I've gone to many uh, churches and many uh, people I've met who love the Lord. And I would like to meet them again. I would like to meet them in my student days, people who are really fervent for the Lord. In my working days, I have colleagues who, at the drop of the, uh, of, of the, the, he would share the gospel to whoever, the director, come, he would, we are just, Managers and engineers, but the directors may come, he'll just share the gospel to the director. You know, I was like, you know, uh, not, not as comfortable in doing that, but this guy, Alan is his name, he would just share the gospel and share the love on God. You know, great, we're gonna have a community. It's gonna be fun. I mean, great to see all this. So, another thing is the community. And then the next thing is that the scope of the new heaven and the new earth will not just be so small. It's heaven and earth, the whole universe. The whole universe. We are not just bound to this earth. I do not know. I mean, this is speculation, alright? Now, you know, you heard the story of Philip. You know, one moment he's here, the next moment he's with the king of Ethiopia. I think for us, probably, that kind of travel is you don't need border lockdown. You just go through, you know. One moment you're here, one moment you're there. And then we talk about when, 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 uh, Paul was saying, you know, uh, I heard of somewhere go to seven heaven and, and, you know, the heaven. I think even intergalactic travel will be just at our fingertip. There will be no barrier. So this is an exciting heaven and new earth. But more than that, in the future, God says that in the new heaven and new earth, God's righteousness will be the rule of the day. We'll be free and we'll not sinning anymore because there is a transformation in us through the blood of Christ, what He did, and through the journey we take when we are there, that we will actually be vaccinated. <laughs> The word vaccination from sin anymore. We will actually be free from the desire or the practice of sin. And how good can it be? So, this is the scope. And therefore, we have come to today's passage. But Zion says, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. It's that when Isaiah takes this big scope up, suddenly there's this Reframe and say, oh, but, hey, God, you're thinking so big. But what, what about now? What about this, this, this? So Zion was told, saying, why have you forgotten? Have you forgotten me? Now, 
when the when Zion is identified there, personalized, I just wonder who do you think Zion is? Who who is this Zion who says, Why have the Lord forgotten me? Who who is it? Now there are a few candidates which I want to bring forth to you. Okay, first candidate is probably quite obvious. The people of Israel at that time. The people of Israel at that time who were actually not gone to exile yet, they were probably listening to Isaiah and they were actually, uh, you know, whether, what stage of them in the interaction with the Assyrian conquest, I'm not sure. But the people at that time, are there these Zion? And they were talking to God, God, you know, have you forgotten us? Are these the people? I think maybe not. Maybe not. The reason I say is that they do not have that longing for God. Those people, the majority of them were judged by God because they do not care for God. And when Isaiah was given the commission to preach to these people, God said, you're going to preach to the people who do not want to listen to you. You'll be preaching and they were closing their ears. They don't have that desire of God to say, God, you know, why have you forgotten us? So I think maybe not. Maybe the, the general, not for the general po- population when God mentioned this Zion is about. But within this group, within this group could be a small group, the remnant. It means big group, there, could, there is actually a group who is actually true believers. They really believe the Lord. They <coughs> are obeying the Lord too. And they are waiting for the Lord. In the sense, their heart is pulled for the glory of the Lord and also the nation of Israel. And they have this feeling, God, you know, why are we in this stage? Zion, is, the nation is under attack. We are, we are being shamed, we are being humbled. The people are not turning to you. So they may have that heart and say, God, you know, you have this big scope. Isaiah say, but where are, where are we? And it, it may be true that this group which take this. Can I suggest another? When the author used the word Zion or Israel, we must understand that the prophecy is actually a poetic writing. And he used like metaphor, like have a mother, uh, uh, what do you call, would a mother forget about the baby? Or you say, I, I, I inscribe you in the palm of my hand, are metaphors which the, the, the author used literal, uh, literary devices, what we call literary devices, to bring out certain thoughts. So the personalization of Zion brings up a, diff, a, a more deeper t- idea than that. A deeper message than that. Okay? So, and it's found in the following verses. Let me propose this. Now, that it is a, a poetic pose to frame a poetic, uh, a prophetic utterance. This is a poetic pose to frame a prophetic utterance of God's plan. And this is the essence of God's plan. 
The essence of God's plan first is that it have a historicity of it. It has a historical past, and there are continued elements of it now, and there will be elements to be fulfilled. Okay? What the term Zion actually connoted is that there is a history. That is the now. God's working now. That's history of God working in the formation of Zion. That the God working now and there is a prophecy of what is to come. And this is the thought behind Zion. The timelessness of God's plan, whole plan. It was God who bore them like a mother to a baby in verse 15. Alright? Of, of verse 15. And, and, and at their present, in verse 19, God knows that they are ruined, they are desolate, they are being worked by God, verse 19. They are barren. And God knows that. And then, in verse 19 to 26, He gives the, God's, God's full scope of restoration. So within these verses, we see that God is, there's a past. God's plan in the past. God is the one who called them, Zion out. There's a present. God is dealing with Zion now. And although they are in the low stage, God didn't desert it. There was a reason also for this low stage. And there is the future glorification of, of this in the future. So there's a past, present, and the future. And God's plan is full. Okay, so we know that in the Christian belief, we do not have a God who just come in history by chance, suddenly appear from nowhere, uh, and then start to, to, to bring forth his redemption. God was there, even you know, from the beginning, from the time Adam fall, even before that, God says, he knows what his plan is. So Zion brings us that part. The second part is that when God's plan God's plan involved the saga of a nation. Our Christian belief is not that the truth of the gospel is a secret message. Like, you know, a, a, a secret uh, rules. And then it is a, 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 a held by some exclusive group. Like maybe in Buddhism, the Eightfold Path. This is a secret uh, uh, a solution to your problem. Uh, and, and it is uh, uh, something you do and then you get, you get the benefit out of it. You get redemption. In the Christian truth, God actually deals with a nation. It's public. He shows His working. It's public. It's, it can be referenced to. And because it's a nation... Therefore, you can see other nations have to respond and then you have a third party's record on this dealing. This is so loaded. God's plan is so, so complete, so public, so significant. Actually, you want to read history, you have to read the Bible. You want to plot civilization, laws, and all that. You have to read the Bible and see where all these laws we're having 
come from. So the second part, the Zionism is we know God is dealing with a nation. God is dealing with a nation. Nothing small. And you want to know if people know about what's going to happen, we have to look at Jerusalem. We have to look at Israel. About the, after the war, the formation of Israel is really an eye-opener. Out of nothing, an impossible situation come the nation of Israel. Somebody put it, if you want to know God, you have to study what is happening to Israel. Not any other nation. You have to study Israel. Zion. So that's the next part. God actually portrays his purpose with a very broad stroke. And we have to look at the nation of Israel. And the third part is that there's a prophecy too here. Prophecy too here. Verse 19 to verse 26. Though we see a barrenness, a barrenness. Now Israel from inception have gone through height and depth of their actually prosperity, their welfare, their influences and all that kind of thing. Up and down. You know, when... They, they should have dis- been disappeared and forgotten, up and down. And here it's cried that they were barren at times. 70 AD, Israel was totally destroyed. People were dispersed. People were dispersed. As a nation, no hope. Everywhere, gone. They were barren. But then, over here, God said he will raise them up. But what Israel said, look here, you know, we have been barren. But when we talk about Israel, we have to look at two areas. One is the real political Israel, the real Israel, as well as the spiritual Israel. The spiritual Israel was even more barren for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. It is perhaps, I don't have statistics, but, but I think it's perhaps the most under-Christian race of history. While other countries enjoy revival, people coming to know the Lord, Israel, being an Israelite, your chances of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior is perhaps one of the lowest. And that's why, that's why it says here, Zion was surprised. He said, look here. I'm barren. Where does these children come from? Where does these children come from? And Isaiah said, look here. You know, your land is not enough to, to, to put all these people in. Your new, new children. Where does these new children come from? You and me. For 2,000 years, uh, uh, an enterprise which is doomed to fail even as it's born. A savior who is crucified, dead as a criminal. A group of red tag 
normal people starting a movement have rolled up to what we have, the kingdom of God now, through the centuries. That's why when the community come together, I tell you, we'll have great fun. We'll meet with Spurgeon and all that kind of thing. Great number of people. Great number of people. Which out, 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 outdo what Israel, spiritual Israel, can think of. The number of coming to the glory of all this number. So in here is the prophecy, Zion. You are not just the kingdom, the people of the Jew. There will be more and more people from other than Jews coming to the kingdom. Isn't it great? So that's it. That's it. In the sense to me, I find that Zion have this broader meaning, a broader meaning of God's plan. God's plan. Where the, 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 the welfare or the, what they call the, the condition of the nation of Zion politically or spiritually look like going on the lowest edge. But through that, we have this big plan of God to all the world. To all the world. To all the world. So if you want, people want to have, there are people who say, give me the evidence of God. Or prove to me there is God. If there's a need of evidence as regarding to the existence of God, working out His will, what I shared can be construed as very verifiable evidence. If you look at what happened to Israel, look at what happened to the church, look at the prophecy of how it actually, actually worked out in history, these are verifiable evidence that God is at work. God is at work in history. And God works through the plan of His prophecies. Now, I will quote a title of a book of Francis Schaeffer. Now, I read this book while I was after my year 12 kind of thing. Now, those who are year 12 and now you've got time. I suggest you look for a book by Francis Schaeffer. He's there, he's not silent. The God who's there and all that is great before you to prepare yourself before you go to university. Now, there's one book by Francis Schaeffer. He says that he is there and he's not silent. Christianity is about a God who is there. And a God who is not silent. So don't come and tell me that I need proof, I need evidence of God. You have to look here. The God is there and He's not silent. And it's verifiable. These evidences are verifiable. So you want evidence? I gave you evidences which I think is actually a credible evidences for you to actually consider. But if you want proof, if you want proof, prove to me 
that is God, isn't it the next step? Then we should look at chapter 50 from verse 1 to verse 3. Just to refresh you, let me read. Thus say the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of the divorce with, with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditor is it to whom I've sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mothers were sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I will dry up the sea. I make the river a desert. Their fish sting for the lack of water and die for thirst. I close the heaven with blackness and make sackcloth of their cowering. It says here, Behold, for your iniquities, you were sold. This passage defines, put the finger on what is the actual problem that we feel estranged from God. But God seems to be so far away. It is our sins and our transgression. It's our sins and our transgression. Now, I do not want to actually go to the sordid detail and say you are a sinner because you are a drunkard and you are a criminal and, and go along the line and you are a murderer. The Bible puts it very plainly and very simply that all of us sin. Now you may be the, a very generous person to your community. Now I was very impressed when I, I saw the show uh, The Fire Within or something. It's about the SES, our SES going out, sacrificially going to the heat of the fire and save people and do call, and then come back hurt, injured. And still they go and do it. We have many people who actually have that sacrificial love for people, love for the family. You may be a, you, 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 you're, you're, you're a good father, a good mother, a good husband, a good wife. You don't cheat in your income tax ethical in your work and pleasant to your community. It may be all that. But the Bible still says that we are still sinners. Paul says that all of us in Romans 3.23 all of us have sinned and we fall short all of us have sinned and we fall short. We miss the mark. We just miss the mark. We miss the mark because we are compared to the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fall short from the glory of God. Adam and Eve before the fall have the glory of God. We are supposed to have the glory of God and we are to be restored. 
We do not have to be a criminal to fall short. Now, Isaiah who wrote this, you can say probably he's a really good man, a probably even a very religious man, a probably a person who we say, you know, we cannot stand next to him as regard to being acceptable to God. And therefore, God actually gave him this mission to write such a book because he had the yearning and the love for God. But in Isaiah chapter 6, let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. What happened when Isaiah, he caught hold of the glory of God? Let me read to you. In the year, I think this is the message which George preached. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he stood, and above him stood the seraphim. Each has six wings, with, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And what did Isaiah respond? And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is what we are measured to be against. To be in God's presence. To be in God's glory. And therefore, however good we are, we fall short. You may be acceptable to your community. The stakes are high here. To stand in God's presence, we fall short. So this is our stake, you and I. This is our stake. And therefore, this is the first step to prove, to go on to proof of God. The second is this, is to challenge God. To challenge God. Over here, God says, When I came, there was no man. Why, when I called, was there no one to answer me? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? God is a redeeming God who wants to redeem this situation. We are fearful short and God wants to redeem. In fact, this redemption is the whole message of the Bible. Redemption. The Bible is not a book for us to make ourselves more uh, what do you call a reformation, a book to reform us, to make us more acceptable to the society. Let's start with the ground zero and let's build it up. No. 
The Bible's strong message is this. You, we, we, we could not. We are zero. We need God to redeem. And He wants to redeem. And He wants to redeem. That is, for what I know, the only worldview, the only system, the only belief that comes with that kind of prospect. Others will say, let's start from something, we move on to second step, and third step, and fourth step, and maybe you'll be here, then we see whether you have been enlightened. Christianity is all straight on from ground zero. You are nothing, nothing we can do, but God is wanting to redeem you. And the proof of it is you have to put that to the test. And you can put that to the test. One the thing about people saying that a scientific proof must be repeatable, testable. And this is repeatable and this is testable. So you want to actually move on from the evidences to proof of God is in your hand. You ask God, God, I won't take you at your word. I want you to redeem me. But I must, you must accept your condition that you need to be redeemed. That you are sinners. That all of us are sinners and need redemption. So this is what I feel Zion means. The whole plan of God. The whole plan. The hope for us. The hope for us. And this message will be repeated again and repeated again as we actually go through the Bible and the, the book of Isaiah in the coming days. So, shall we pray? Our Father God, we thank you, dear Lord God, for you are a good and you are a, you are a God who challenged us to, 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 to respond to you. And I know, God, that you are a God who actually responds to us back. We do not know, dear Lord God, how... I, I thank you as I look around me, dear Lord God. I know that these are a group of people, dear Lord God, of my friends and my fellow brothers and sisters who have been redeemed. And we thank you, dear Lord God, for the journey you took us to this stage. We pray, dear Lord God, for our family members that we could take this message to them and to challenge them, dear Lord God, to make God really real, make you really real in their life. We thank you for the book of Isaiah, dear Lord God. We thank you for the consistency of your plan, dear Lord God. Even in the Old Testament, moving to the New Testament, you haven't changed your, your, the message. We thank you for that, dear Lord God. So we pray, thanking you for the redemption you have given us, that we are now your children. And we thank you, dear Lord God, for the glimpses of what we share or what heaven could be like, dear Lord God. And I think that's much more than that. But we thank you for a really uh, fantastic future we are facing. And we pray, thanking you this in Jesus' most precious and most holy name. Amen.